for the first time since the 2017-18 season, the number one team in the country in Division I men's college basketball is from the Big East. And for the first time since early March of 2009, the number one team in the country in Division I men's basketball resides in Storrs, Connecticut, the basketball capital of the world. I'll discuss how that came to be and a huge week ahead with plenty of exciting matchups, including that number one team getting some tests at home against 18th ranked Creighton. And then in prime time on Saturday night in the city of brotherly love, all that and more coming up on this week's edition of the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, the igloo with me, Timmy ice. So, Of course, let's address the elephant in the room, what I just started off with. The new number one team in the country is none other than the UConn Huskies. How did they get there? They got a test against Xavier on the road. And just when he thought UConn was going to pull away, leading by as many as 14 In the late stages of the game, I mean, it was 76-62 with four and a half to go. But Xavier scratched and clawed their way back into the game. But UConn, after it got down to a three-point game with 15 seconds left, two big free throws to ice the game, courtesy of Tristan Newton and the Huskies, escape. The Cintas Center with a win. The guy who has been the engine. Well, not the engine. He's the difference maker off the bench has been Hassan Diara. 11 points in the win over Xavier and then followed that up on Sunday against Georgetown, a game in which Supreme Cook played out of his mind with an 18.13 rebound double-double. He did foul out. But behind the strength of 13 three-pointers and 26 from Alex Caravan, 20 from Camp Spencer, those two guys combined to shoot 11 for 15 from long range. And then Diara with seven off the bench. I mean, his bench play played a pivotal role in UConn's 2-0 week, and thanks to losses by the other four top five teams in last week's poll. Number one, Purdue, who lost to Nebraska in Lincoln. Number two, Houston, losing back-to-back games on the road against Iowa State and TCU, both of which unranked, like Nebraska. Number three, Kansas lost... At UCF for the Knights' first Big 12 victory. And then number five, Tennessee, lost to Mississippi State, who is also unranked. So the Huskies, all they had to do was take care of business Sunday and they guaranteed themselves the number one spot. And listen, 
It wasn't pretty, but listen, a win is a win no matter how you get it. All he had to do really was win the game, and that number one ranking was all theirs. And that's exactly what they did. They defended it well, too. Held Georgetown to just 34% from the floor, 25% from three. And by the way, this was it. This felt like a foul shooting contest at one point. Georgetown took 38 free throws. UConn, 25. So 63 total free throws. There were 44 fouls called. I mean, listen, no one likes a ref show. Okay? I think that goes without saying. So that's how UConn became the number one team in the country. Tied with them atop the biggie standings, Red Hot Seton Hall. Although it didn't come easy. Talked about it at length on Hoist the Colors with Pat Madden. Seton Hall was pounding Georgetown early. I mean, they went up 24 to 8. Within the first eight minutes and change. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, yeah we Seton Hall's got this in the bag. But Pat's prediction on that um, on our episode last week came to fruition. And it wasn't what I wanted. Because Seton Hall didn't put him away. Let Georgetown hang around. And the Hoyas led by three. With 3.15 to go. But the Pirates closed the game on a 12-5 run. Big plays coming from... You know, Kadari Richmond giving Seton Hall the lead for good at the 149 mark. And then a steal and an and one for Dylan today, Wusu. And then for good measure, Kadari putting the true dagger into the hearts of the Hoyas with 46 seconds to go. And Seedall survives despite a 30-piece from Jaded Epps. Like Pat predicted, when Epps gets hot, it's hard to find a better shooter in the Big East than Jaded Epps. And when he got hot, he was on fire. I mean, he had 30, but it was hard to get help from the rest of the Hoyas. Supreme Cook at 13. Heath, Jay Heath had 10 off the bench. I mean, the bench played solidly for Georgetown. I mean, 20 points from the bench. But Roan Brumbaugh put up a goose egg. Dontrez Styles wasn't himself. Ishmael Masood. Really struggled shooting the rock. But seeing all, they shot it incredibly well, which negated them turning it over 17 times. 60% from the floor, 7 of 15 from long range. So inside the arc, they were 20 for 30. Georgetown did make 10 three-pointers. 
but on 35 attempts. So Seton Hall held them to under 30% from long range. Inside the arc, 65% at 13 for 20. And if you're Georgetown, listen, like, you can't be taking 35 three-pointers. Like, that's just not a winning recipe. Unless you're hitting more than 10 of them. Like, if you're shooting 35 threes, like, you got to be making it, like, you got to be shooting at least at a 40% clip if you want to beat a team like Seton Hall. Or playing a team that's been playing as well as Seton Hall. And was as efficient as Seton Hall was in this game. Al Dawes shot the lights out from three again. Five for seven, finished with 25. Kadari Richmond, 28 and eight. Another stat sheet stuffing performance. Dre Davis had a dozen. Isaiah Coleman was seven points off the bench in his homecoming to the DMV. Even though Dylan Adebusu only had four points, his steal in and one, by the way, that was one of his five steals in this one, was the dagger. And then at Hinkle, Seton Hall just comes out shooting on fire. Butler started off on fire, but Seton Hall batting down the hatches defensively to go up eight going to the locker room. Butler, they just hung around. And while Butler... They led by as many as five, but I'm trying to think of when that was in the that was early in the game. It was like ten to five because Pasha Alexander came out scolding hot from three. But in the second half, you know, it was a back and forth battle with a lot of big shots being made. You know, he had the back to back threes after Seton Hall went up four. You had back to back threes by Telford and Bowden Kapke that gave Butler the lead. And then back and forth we go. Al Dawes hits a three to put Seton Hall back up by one. Actually, no, Betty Akko's jumper put Seton Hall back up by one. And then Pierre Brooks with the answer on the other end from three. And back and forth we go. And then Kadar- the big play by Alamir Dawes to tie it at 72, beating the shot clock with just... Just under two minutes to go. That was a huge play. Because if he doesn't get that one to go, who knows if Butler goes down to the other end and makes it a four-point game or even five. They get a stop on the other end with a missed three by Brooks. And then Kadari Richmond playing some bully ball to get the go-ahead bucket and that puts Seton Hall up for good. And they they got stops. And Butler didn't score for the final two and a half minutes. And the Pirates end up winning by six with Kadari Richmond, who else, making the game icing free throws. Four of them to be exact, two with 22 seconds left and then two more with four seconds left. So, Kadari's stat line and route to getting his second straight Big East Player of the Week selection. 24 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists. Meanwhile, Dylan Adewusu 
put up 14 and shot really well. 5 of 7 overall and 3 for 4 from behind the arc. Alamir Dawes only had 10 points. Didn't make a single 3, but made the kind of plays that he needed to make to give Seton Hall the win. Dre Davis in his homecoming to Indianapolis. He had 14 points on 50% shooting. Pasha Alexander played an excellent game with 17 points. Pierre Brooks had 12 points all from behind the arc, but I think he needed more from him in order to win the game. Especially, same goes for DJ Davis. Only 4 points on 1 of 8 shooting and 0 of 6 from 3. Jamil Telford had a solid game with 13 points. The bigs overperformed, let's be honest. Jalen Thomas had 15 points and 7 boards. Andre screened 5 points of his own off the bench. And Kapke made a 3. I didn't even know he could make 3s. And another 50 plus percent shooting performance for the Pirates. Gives them a huge win. And gets them to 2-0. On that road trip. And 5-1 and tied with UConn atop the Big East. Other headlines, Marquette took a shocking tumble against Butler on Wednesday. So Butler lost to Seton Hall on Saturday, but three days before that, Marquette was up 35-28 at the break, and then Butler just woke up. Marquette struggled, and the Bulldogs, behind a balance-scoring effort, ends Marquette's 20-game home Big East winning streak with a 69-62 win. Unfortunately for Marquette, Sean Jones, arguably their top bench player, tore his ACL, so he's done for the year, and that doesn't help the fact that Chase Ross, another one of their top bench guys, he separated or dislocated his shoulder against Seton Hall the game before that. No one really knows the timetable for how long he'll be out. And you know what else doesn't help? Tyler Kolak, your reigning Big East Player of the Year, shooting 1 of 13 from the floor and 0 of 7 from long range. 2 points, 8 assists. Cam Jones had 20, but looking at the numbers, I mean, 9 for 22 from the floor, 1 of 10 from long range. The Golden Eagles as a team, they were 5 for 31 from behind the arc. When you shoot that poorly, you're not going to win many games. And meanwhile, Butler, 10 three-pointers on 22 attempts. And talk about balance scoring. Pierre Brooks with 14. Landon Moore had 14. Jalen Thomas had a double-double, 10 points, 14 rebounds. Let's see who else. Pasha Alexander had 10. Finley Bizjack had eight huge points in 16 minutes. But for Marquette, at least they bounced back on MLK Day with a win over Villanova. I mean, they shot the lights out in the first half. In fact, in the first half, 34 of their 43 points were scored in the paint. They were 17 of 20 from two-point range. That's 85%. And this game was 
Tied at 57 halfway through the second half, but Marquette went on a surge and pulled away to win it by 13. It was 30-17 to 17 the rest of the way. So Marquette put up 30 points in the final 10 minutes, which is just n- impressive. Cam Jones was 10 of 12 from the floor, 2 of 4 from long range, 22 points on the game. Tyler Kolek had a big bounce back game, 21 points and 11 assists. 18 for Oso Iguodaro, 7 boards and 5 assists as well. Stevie Mitchell had 9 points, including the dunk that was the exclamation point. David Joplin was 7. The guy who really came out of nowhere off the bench was Zade Lowry with with a pair of 3-pointers in 13 minutes off the bench. They didn't shoot well from three at 7 to 23, but inside the arc, they were 30 for 40. That's 75%. And you want to know how many turnovers they committed? Three. Basically, it was the antithesis of how they played Wednesday. Meanwhile, for Villanova, another career game for Mark Armstrong, setting a new career high in three straight games, putting up 24 points on 8 of 15 shooting and 5 of 9 from long range. Eric Dixon at 15. Brendan Halson with with 11 of his own, 3 of 5 from long range and 2 of 3 from the charity stripe. Other than that, they didn't really get much else. I mean, Justin Moore... Eight points in his second game back from injury. Six each from uh, Trey Burton and TJ Bamba. Uh, Bamba fouled out. And Burton had a team high 10 rebounds. But Hakeem Hart, who's been their best bench player, he struggled in this one. And while they made 14 three-pointers, I mean, 12 turnovers... That it adds up. Combined with the fact that Marquette basically scored at will in the paint. Points in the paint. I'm laughing at this as I'm reading it right now. 60 to 18 points in the paint. I get it. Three points are more than two points, but. You can't be getting outscored in points in the paint by 42. That just can't happen. And speaking of Villanova, you know, they split the, you know, this past week. You know, they beat DePaul easily, so the Blue Demons are now 0-5 in the Big East. Other highlights from the week. No surprise, you know, Creighton demolished DePaul and then barely survived against St. John's. Listen. I get the gripes about the officiating, you know, missing a couple calls specifically that should have gone against Creighton. Same goes, there should have been a handful of calls that should have gone against St. John's. To me, it just evened out, if I'm being honest. But if you're St. John's, you can't be shooting 2 of 11 from 3 and expect to beat a team like Creighton who is... Arguably the best offensive team in the Big East. And St. John's plays an aggressive style of defense. Creighton's more passive and more disciplined where they're making it 
a point of emphasis to not foul. That's why there's a foul discrepancy. Honestly, I don't even know if I should continue wasting my breath on that because I've just heard it, heard and seen it so many times on Twitter, specifically about Creighton. And at this point, we're beating a dead horse, so I'm not even going to continue on that. The foul discrepancy was what it was because of how Creighton plays on the defensive end versus how St. John's plays on the defensive end. It's that simple. Anyways, Soriano, another double-double with 13 and 11. But Creighton, you know, they got, they made the plays they needed to make when that mattered most. You know, they got an offense, you know, they got the ball to Trey Alexander in a helter-skelter sequence. He draws the foul, makes the two free throws that ends up winning the game. And on the last sequence, I understand the argument. Did Francisco Farabello foul on the putback attempt? I would argue that he did because he displaced the shooter. But ultimately, that's that's not what ended up happening. No foul, and that was the game. Listen, Brent Hampton, Nathan Farrell, and James fucking Breeding. Like, he's got to, again, he's got to go. Please. Put all of us Big East fans out of misery, please. Now, Baylor Shireman had a 17.12 rebound performance, played all 40 minutes. Ryan Kalkbrenner, 18 points and 9 rebounds, even knocked down a 3. Trey Alexander didn't shoot it well, but again, those two free throws, his only free throw attempts from the game, ended up being the difference in winning. And Stephen Ashworth had a much better performance than what we've seen from him throughout the season. He was able to put up 11 points on 4 of 9 shooting and 3 of 8 from long range. Speaking of St. John's, earlier they in the week they beat St. John's. But it was a close one. St. John's should have put him away. But Providence had a hot start to the second half. St. John's woke up and almost pulled away. But I, I give credit, Providence... Never gave up, and kind of like the same script in the Creighton game, Devin Carter was trying to will his team to a win. It just fell short. 31 points and 13 rebounds on 11 of 19 from the floor and 2 of 6 from long range. Jaden Pierre had 17 points of his own. Ticket gains with 11. Uh, Garway Duwall had uh, uh, 33 minutes off the bench, 7 points. Uh, Corey Floyd Jr. only played 10 minutes. So Duwall was getting Floyd's minutes and made the most of them. But Providence proved to be too much. Another big reason why Providence ended up losing, you can't be shooting 11 or 21 from the free throw line. Meanwhile, Soriano and Jenkins each had 16 points. Jenkins was red hot from three at four for five. Also had eight dimes. Jordan Dingle had nine points off the bench to give the Johnnies a boost. And Brady Dunlap with nine points of his own. But Providence's struggles only continued because Xavier went and they went into the amp. And now he beat Providence. And it was a close game of the half. They pounded them in the second half. 
44-25 edge. They win by 20 behind a career game from Trey Green, the freshman with 23 points. 5 of 8 from long range, 9 of 14 overall. Desmond Claw with 21 of his own. And this is the first game I've seen Xavier win in a while where Quincy Olivari had a quiet, a quiet game, only 10 points for Q. How about a breakout game from, from uh, Namiksa? 11 points and 7 boards. 2 of 3 from long range. 4 of 7 from the floor. Xavier shot it incredibly well. 12 of 24 from long range. Even 50%. Over 50% from the floor. And they held Providence to under 30% from 3. And under 40% from the floor. A 38-29 edge on the glass as well. Oduro had 20. Carter didn't have his best off. 18 points, but 2 of 9 from 3 and 6 of 17 overall. So Providence, after starting as well as they did at 11-2, turns out the Bryce Hopkins knee injury is proving to be more catastrophic than people have anticipated. But we'll see how they bounce back. As they got to Paul uh, in Chicago coming up. A uh, side note before I go into uh, my picks for the week. I just want to point out Quincy Olivari. I said this on Twitter. He has got to be my favorite player in the conference based off personality. Uh, Xavier fan had tweeted to him, you know, uh, saying, you know, I'm watching the game from um from the I don't know where he was. He was just watching the game in a tropical location and Quincy noticed not he didn't really notice that he was watching the game at his hotel. He noticed that his feet were in the pick and he said, "Yo, bro, get your feet out the pick." And I'll tell you like and I know because I spoke to him at Biggie's media day. Quincy is a character and he is funny. So I wanted to give a shout out to Q um, for being one of those guys that makes covering Biggie's basketball fun. You 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 like to see a guy who's engaging with the fans and people who follow him and are fans of his at Xavier. If just from a Big East perspective, I'm a huge fan of his because his he's got a I love his game. He's got a great personality because I know there's a lot more to the game than what you see on the stat sheet. Speaking of Xavier, they got Butler Tuesday night. Always a good matchup between these two Midwest rivals. I think Xavier gets it done. It'll be close, but I think the Musketeers will protect their home court at the Centos Center and get the win. Meanwhile, I'm shocked to see Seton Hall as a one-and-a-half-point underdog against St. John's. I'm going to take the Pirates, but it's going to be a close one. Uh, St. John's last year, Seton Hall blew them out twice, including by like 20-plus in Newark. I just don't see that happening. Rick Pitino knows the importance of the 
New York-New Jersey rivalry within the Big East. But in the end, blue prevails over red and New Jersey prevails over New York. Give me the Pirates beating St. John's. Wednesday, your new number one team in the country, UConn hosting 18th ranked Creighton at Gamble. I'm taking the Huskies. Creighton will play them tight, but I think UConn will prove to be just too much. Even without Donovan Klingon. And based on from what I have heard and seen, this could be the game where he comes back, and you're going to need Klingon back in a game like this going up against Ryan Kalkbrenner. I just like how UConn's been playing. They've become a lot more comfortable playing without Klingon. Even if Klingon comes back, I don't think it's going to throw them off. Because you need Klingon again in a game against a guy like Ryan Kalkbrenner. So give me UConn protecting home court at Gamble with a win. And then Providence, I got them bouncing back, ending their four-game losing skid with a win at Wintrust over DePaul. However... I wouldn't be shocked if DePaul ends up stealing this one. I'm getting very much of the 2016-2017 meeting vibes. Because Providence was in desperate need of a win at that point because they still hadn't really figured that figured out their identity after losing Chris Dunn and Ben Bensel. And DePaul... St- Shocked them out of nowhere with Billy Garrett Jr. getting the and one that ends up giving DePaul one point lead. And then Kyron Cartwright, I'm sorry if I'm giving any, any PC fans PTSD talking about this. Kyron had a wide open lane to the bucket and missed a bunny at the horn on a layup. And DePaul ended up stealing one. And then the year before that, Providence was riding high. I think they were ranked top, I think they were ranked number like 11 in the country or number 12. And DePaul just shocked him. So, again, I'm taking Providence, but don't be surprised if DePaul somehow pulls an upset. Friday night at Centus, I got Xavier beating Georgetown. Saturday, uh, let's start in Newark. Seton Hall hosting number 18, Creighton. I think Creighton will split the road trip, whether that be if they stun UConn but lose to Seton Hall, or if they lose to UConn, but beat Seton Hall. I made the PSA, you know, Seton Hall fans, sell out the rock. I think it's sold out maybe once against Creighton, maybe once since realignment. But my gut feeling is, is Creighton over Seton Hall. Now, on Fox, 17th ranked Marquette at St. John's. You know, the Golden Eagles fell to number 17 in this week's poll, but got the job done, you know, beating Villanova. And I think they'll keep that momentum rolling by getting a crucial win in the Garden against St. John's. You know, they had all that success there last year in the Big East Tournament. And I think... They're going to continue that trend with a big road win against the Johnnies. I got Butler beating DePaul at Hinkle. I, I, to me, I think that goes without saying. In a game, I think it got bumped from Fox because 
they're airing Packers Niners on Fox instead. I, I thought it was going to be UConn Villanova, like the Fox primetime move. I thought that was going to be the move from the jump. But because the NFL doesn't know what the fuck they're doing, probably, they knew there was a contractual obligation that UConn and Villanova were going to be on Fox primetime hoops Saturday night. And they're like, no, fuck that. Packers, Niners, baby. NFL playoffs. I, I get it. The NFL takes precedent over everything else, but like, give college basketball just a little bit of respect. This is the number one team in the country, and you're going to bump them to FS1 in a game at Villanova, who is also a name brand. Nowhere near as much of a name brand as UConn now, but like, come on. Really? But I'm going to take UConn winning at Wells Fargo. So, coming out of the break, breaking down the latest in Biggie's women's hoops. So don't go away. My name is Desmond Clough. And I'm Quincy Oliveri. And you're listening to the Igloo with Timmy Ice. I mean, did you really expect anyone else for that segue? Yeah, that's what I thought. Meanwhile, on the women's side, I mean, most of the results, not really surprising. UConn steamrolled their way through the week. They pounded Providence, and then they throttled St. John's at UBS. Meanwhile, Marquette, who fell to number 23, they bounced back by decimating Seton Hall at Walsh Gym, exercising those demons with a 21-point win. You know, it was only a two-point game at halftime, and then Liza Carlin took over. They were just really efficient from the floor, shooting over 50, 50% from three, over 50% overall. And Seton Hall had a tough time shooting and got dominated on the glass. 39 to 25 rebounding advantage. Now, Liza Carlin with a 30 piece in this one. Jordan King at 16 to go with eight boards and six assists. Mackenzie Hare had a dozen. Rose Nakumu, perfect from the floor, eight points on three of three shooting, knocked down her only three point attempt of the game. Even though she only had two points. 11 rebounds from the freshman Skyler Forbes. And by the way, that 30, a career high for Carlin. Meanwhile, Amari Wright was held scoreless in 28 minutes with seven assists. Savannah Catalan continued her strong play off the bench with nine points. Zana Baines had 12, but some of the other, I mean, Case Satterfield came back, but only had two points in 17 minutes. Just not much outside of Gray, Baines, and Catalan, who combined for 37 of their 54. And then Marquette trounced DePaul on Saturday night by 31. And this, this game, they actually started off hot compared to getting hot in the second half. They led 38-18 to 18 at halftime and won by 31. Behind 19 points from Carlin, 8 of 9 from the floor, and a perfect 2 of 2 from long range. 
King with 16. Nakumu with 12 points and 9 dimes. And then 9 points from Mackenzie Hare. And 9 off the bench in 16 minutes from the senior transfer from Lehigh, Franny Hottinger. Meanwhile, I mean, DePaul's starters struggled. Anaya Peoples, the only starter in double figures with 10 points, but 4 of 13 shooting. I mean, they got a bit of a boost from freshman Shakara McCline. I mean, she had 13, but just clearly wasn't DePaul's night. Their struggles continue. They are now 1-4 in the Big East. A team that's been a bit of a surprise in terms of, you know, they kind of come out of nowhere. But Villanova's 4-1, and one, quietly in second in the Big East standings. And they handed Georgetown their first road loss of the season with an overtime win, 53-51. to I mean, this is a rock fight. And Nova led going into the fourth. Let's see, I'm going to try to do the math here. It was 40 to 33. So, <laughs> low scoring affair. You know, Villanova led 44 38 with 7.55 to go in the fourth. Like, yeah, you've got to be feeling pretty good about yourself, right? Villanova didn't score for the rest of the fourth quarter, and Georgetown, the final six points. And by the way, no one scored in the final 255. Grace Ann Bennett tied it at that point, and no one scored until overtime. And in overtime, you know, Maya Bembry tied it at 51 with 11 seconds to go. But who comes up with the with the big play, well, you know, no one really. Um, by the way, that was an and one opportunity for Bembry. She missed the go-ahead free throw, got her own rebound, but then Bella Runny got a big block and called timeout. And then Lucy Olsen gets fouled. She makes one of two. And then out of the timeout, Georgetown turns it over. They got a foul, and Caitlin Oriole makes one of two. And they escape the fin with a win. And, I mean, this was Lucy Olsen's game. I mean, 28 points. 28 of their 53. 2 of 4 from 3, 11 of 27 overall. Oriole had eight points. Runyon with eight as well. Three blocks in that third and final block was huge. So it made up for the fact that, you know, Christina Dalsey got herself into foul trouble and fouled out, playing only 19 minutes, having three points. Zanae Jones only had three. Maddie Burke was held scoreless. Maddie Weber only had three points off the bench. 
As for Georgetown, I mean, they dominated on the glass. 52-42 edge. 18 offensive rebounds. But 19 turnovers will kill you. 5 for 12 from the free throw line will kill you even more. Brianna Scott and Grace Ann Bennett each had 13 points. By the way, starting center Ariel Jenkins only played 5 minutes. Brianna Scott played 42 off the bench and had a double-double with 13 points and 13 boards. Kelsey Ransom had a tough night. 3 of 19 shooting and 1 of 5 from long range. 5 boards, 7 assists. And Alex Cowan, the only other Hoya in double figures with 11 points playing all 45 minutes. 4 for 7 from the floor, 3 of 6 from long range. And then followed that up with a road win at Butler. So after losing the Big East opener back in mid-December at St. John's, they've rattled off 4 straight Big East wins. Like I said, quietly in second place. Olsen struggled, but Maddie Weber was right there to pick her up. With 18 points on 7-11 shooting, 3-for-7 from behind the arc. Now, what... I also want to mention, you know, Butler, it's really shocking to see them still winless in conference play at this point. You know, Creighton curb stomped them in Omaha behind a big second half where they outscored Butler 52-28 to behind an outstand, another outstanding performance from Emma Ronsick. Mallory Brake had a dozen. Lauren Jensen at 14. And the bench came to play as well. 26 points from the bench. And they were really efficient. The whole team was efficient for that matter. Shooting 55% from the floor. 52% from long range. And a 41-30 edge. On the glass. And then they followed that up by. Handling business against Providence. By 11. And they started off slow. But a big second quarter was the difference maker, and Ronza continues to ball out. Another 22 points for her, playing all 40 minutes. Lauren Jensen at 22 of her own, Morgan Molly at 13. And the bench produced again, six each, from Kennedy Townsend and Jamie Horan. All their points came from long range. So Providence, after starting... Conference plays so well, they come back down to earth against arguably the top two teams in the conference on the road, no less. Is there anything else I'm missing? Um, Oh, you know, St. John's earlier in the week, they had beaten Xavier comfortably on the road, and then Xavier remained winless in the Big East by uh, getting trounced by Seton Hall by 14. 61-47, although... Seton Hall was only up one at the break, and then they then they woke up and pulled away for the double-digit win. So Seton Hall, they've been you know up and down, and they're sixth in the standings at three and three in conference play. St. John's 
at 4-2 and in a three-way tie for third, along with Creighton and Marquette. So, what do I think is going to happen this week? DePaul's going to throttle Xavier to bounce back and get back in the win column. Other games... Marquette Villanova is an intriguing matchup. But I think Marquette, now that they're back in their groove, Villanova's been really good as of late, but I think Marquette is, they just have the advantage in this matchup. And I got the Golden Eagles winning one at the fin. Uh, So they moved up to 22nd in the country. Creighton, by the way, moved up to number 21. So they have the bye week during this midweek slate. St. John's, I got to beat Butler at Carneseca. Uh, the Road Dogs will come back into play for the Hoyas of Georgetown at Providence. I got the Hoyas beating the Friars at Alumni Hall. And then, no surprise, UConn, who, thanks to their big week, they're now up to number nine in the country. I got them beating Seton Hall rather easily at Walsh Gym. Let's see, do I want to keep going through beyond Monday? Nah, nah, I'm good. So Saturday, uh, number nine, UConn, they'll take care of business against DePaul. Georgetown will win comfortably against Xavier. And then on Sunday, Villanova's got a tough week. They have Marquette and Creighton back-to-back. I mean, listen, I'm on the fence, if I'm being honest. You know what? I'm going to change one of my picks. I'm going to take Villanova beating Marquette. In an upset. Because uh, I think Marquette, while they played better on the road, they've proven to be but like the difference between who they are at home versus on the road, I think there's enough of a of a contrast. Like they're just more comfortable playing at the Al, and that's okay. But I got Villanova. I, I'm going to take Villanova upsetting Marquette, but. Actually, no, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to get edgy. I just can't do it. I think Villanova's going to have a tough week. I think they're going to go 0-2 because I think Creighton will beat them as well at the fin. And then Butler against Providence. Butler's due for a Big East win. And I think they'll get it against the Providence Friars. Gut feeling, but I'm going to go with it. Honestly, I might still be teetering on that Marquette Villanova pick by the time that game is played tomorrow, but Marquette's the pick. If it if, if it changes, I'll let you know. By the way, it's funny how for the Nova Marquette men's game on Monday, I almost flipped my pick to Villanova by stuck with Marquette. Kind of glad I did. So maybe I'll stick with Marquette women beating Nova at the fin. 
But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I'll catch you next time for another edition of the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, The Igloo, with me, Timmy Ice. Actually, no. Here's how we're going to end this episode, shall we? The Big East is the best conference in college basketball. If you if you hate this conference and you root for a team that's in this conference, you are an idiot. Yeah, talking to you, Joseph, what is life, yo? This man started a firestorm. And I just want to give my flowers to all of you in Big East Twitter for ratioing that clown into oblivion. It's it's a beautiful thing seeing all Biggie's Twitter come together to own that fraud. So that's how I want to end this episode on that note, a more positive note. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week for another edition of the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, The Igloo, with me, Timmy Ice.